scientists have found that statistically speaking, uh, human beings are physically more healthy when their physical body is in one piece uh, versus when it is like cut up into lots of different pieces. Uh, I don't have an actual like study that confirms that, but I'm pretty sure that's true that we're meant to have our body in one piece rather than separated into lots of little pieces. In the same way, if a church is uh, the body of Christ, there's the body of Christ, but each local church is a manifestation of the body of Christ, it is going to do better. It is going to be more healthy when it is unified, when it is one, rather than being divided into lots of different factions and different parts. And this is something that I do have authority to back this up because scripture tells us this in many, many places. So today, as we talk about the health and mission of the church, we're going to be talking about this unity and also membership. And when we think membership, we don't just mean, you know, are you official member on a roll, but a church body has many parts. And that gets translated in places like 1 Corinthians 12 as many, many members different members of the body and just as the many members are different and do different things they're meant to be connected they're meant to be attached to each other united and working together and that is what is going to make for a healthy church body as well so just one verse that we can look at just right in the beginning first corinthians 12 read the whole thing i encourage you to it talks about spiritual gifts and that God has given many different types of spiritual gifts within uh, the body of Christ. And he's talking to the people in the church in Corinth and telling them that in their local church, they have lots of different people with many different spiritual gifts, but they're meant to be working together, united as the body of Christ. And that when you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're put into the body of Christ. Each church is a manifestation of that. And in 1 Corinthians 12, 25, it says that there may be no division in the body, so there's supposed to be unity, not division, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And this is going to provide kind of a rough outline for the message that we have today. So first we'll talk about unity, that there's supposed to be no division in the body of Christ, but we're to be united. I want to talk a little bit about membership and what that means to be a part of the body and why membership is helpful and important and, and vital in a healthy church body and that it's just not having your name on a list of paper but it is uh, being in covenant to each other caring for one another in the body of Christ so this verse kind of gives us that outline if we put this all together as one big idea this is what you'd have and if you're filling out your your notes in the outline uh, this will give you these uh, the words you need to fill in but healthy churches are united as church members live out covenant commitment with one another. So in the three points we have, we're going to unpack that. That healthy churches, that's what we're aiming for, that there, there's unity, we want to have that, and that's enhanced as the, the members of the church live out covenant commitment uh, with one another. So the first thing we'll say is that unity is vital for a healthy church. And I mean vital in a literal way. You think of vital signs, vitality, it means to be alive, signs of life. And so unity really is important. If it's uh, cut up, it is not going to survive. It is not going to be healthy when there's different factions. 
And the church in Corinth, they were dealing with lots of different factions. And Paul wrote to them. And another uh, passage where he talks about this, 1 Corinthians, uh, starting with verse 10, I appeal to you, brothers, he's, he's imploring them, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. And he goes on and he talks about, he says, For it's been reported to me by Chloe's people that there's quarreling among you, brothers. What I mean is that each of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, who's Peter. Or some super spiritual people said, well, I follow Christ. But you had all these people lining up between, you know, under different leaders, saying, I'm going to follow this one, I'm going to follow that one. And instead of being united, you had a church that had all kinds of divisions and all kinds of factions. Paul asks in verse 13, is Christ divided? And the answer is, he is not. And therefore, we are not to be either. So we think about unity. I think another really important thing we need to realize is that we are actually not called in Scripture to create unity. That that is actually something that has already been created. That the Holy Spirit is the one that creates the bond of unity between believers. And so what we are called to do is not to create that unity, uh, but we are called to um, maintain that unity, to preserve that unity. And I would add, I think it's safe to say to, to strengthen that unity. And in Ephesians is a place where it talks about this. Paul is talking uh, here to, uh, to Christians. He says, I, Therefore, a prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So you could walk in a manner that's unworthy of the calling or in a manner that's worthy. And he's going to unpack what this means. It says, With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. And then he says in verse 3, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That's where we see that he doesn't say to create that unity, uh, but to maintain that unity. So this is an encouraging thing, because if we try to force a, a false unity, um, it's not going to be something real. It's going to be artificial. And sometimes people try to do that with um, you know, different groups uh, that maybe we don't have the same thing in common. Maybe we're actually not united in Christ or united in the gospel. But when somebody turns to Christ and trusts him as Savior, uh, what Scripture teaches is that at that moment, there's a spiritual baptism that happens, that you're plunged into the body of Christ. And therefore, we are united together in the, the universal church in the body of Christ with a unity that comes from being placed in the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit, if you are a genuine Christian. And therefore, also within a local church, there's going to be that unity that comes from that, from that commonness of being uh, all saved by Jesus Christ and united with him and therefore united to one another. Now, of course, in any church, you're going to have some people that are coming that are not yet saved, and we hope that they're on the way and God is working in their lives. You know, there's going to be our children that don't come into this world reconciled to Christ, uh, but we teach them and we pray and we hope that uh, in God's time and we pray that that's, you know, an early age they'll come to know Jesus Christ and be united to each other. But it's something that's created by the Holy Spirit, but we're to maintain it. And sometimes in uh, Christian communities, we don't do a good job at that. They fight against it, they fracture it or try to, um, if we're 
bonded together by this giant rubber band of the Holy Spirit, just stretching that to the breaking point. This verse shows us some of the ways that we do this. Some of the things that are mentioned are really going to be helpful uh, with all humility and gentleness. There's so much division that comes when we lose track of humility. When people start to make themselves more important, uh, when egos start to become the, the big thing in somebody's lives, gentleness, when people aren't gentle, they're harsh with each other, it fractures uh, this union, makes it, makes it difficult to stay united with one another. Patience. We live in a world that it's, people get under our skin really easy, and it's easy not to be patient with each other. Um, I don't know about your family or your kids. Uh, sometimes learning patience is a, is a big thing with one another. And notice it says also, bearing with one another in love. And this means that, you know, in a church family, there's times where we're going to have to bear with one another. When there's someone that could be rubbing you the wrong way, maybe does some kind of slight against you, you know, and we have to decide, are we going to look for every little thing that, that bothers you from somebody else and make a record of that and not let it go? Or there are times we just, we bear with it or we decide, you know, that this isn't worth making a big issue about and we just let it go because it's not that big of a thing. Now, you have to have wisdom. There's certain things that it is something that needs to be addressed, but there's a lot of things we just have to be willing to just say, I don't need to let this bother me as we try to love each other and maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So unity is good, and therefore the opposite of that, divisions are, are not good. We've seen that in several of these verses already, but yeah, divisions or a divisive spirit, these are things that we ought to reject. We ought to say, this is not what we want. And when we see things that are starting to, starting to splinter, that are starting to you know, put a, their, their foot in a crack, uh, we need to watch for those things early, that it doesn't become divisive, or things that could, if unchecked, lead to splits and divisions. Again, in 1 Corinthians, a, a church that was really suffering from a lot of factions and divisions, uh, Paul tells them this. Uh, he's talking about having the Lord's Supper together. And it's supposed to be a time of, of commonness and fellowship, uh, communion with the Lord, but also with one another. But he writes to them and says, 1 Corinthians 11, 17, 18, but in the following instructions, I do not commend you He's saying, this is something I'm telling you, that this is something that's wrong with what's going on with you. He says, because when you come together, they gather together as a church, it is not for the better, but for the worse. It's supposed to be we come together as the church, and it's encouragement. Uh, it's going to benefit each other. And in Hebrews, it talks about that. Don't forsake the gathering together, uh, but come together so we can encourage one another more and more. But he's saying, you guys come together, you're making things worse for each other. He says, for in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part. So, and I'm hearing this, and yeah, I can see it. Because they have these different factions. This is one of the things Satan loves to do. He loves to find ways uh, to, to put those cracks in. And to have a little crack, and then, you know, like your, your driveway, there's a little crack, and then the, the water gets in, it freezes, and it's splintering it more and more. And Satan will find anything he can do to try and put little wedges in between people or different groups of people. 
And we also need to be watching out for that. It's nice to be able to have this uh, type of a message um, that's more preventative than having to you know, stand up here and say, oh, everyone's at each other's throats. And I'm thankful for that. And I'm thankful for the, for the general sense of unity that we do have as a church. But let's be watching that. Let's make it our effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit. And that means also you know, watching against things that the enemy is going to want to do. And he wants to do that because it destroys churches, it destroys God's work, and it, it destroys God's people. It hurts people when that happens. And it's not just Satan. You can't just say, well, it's, it's all his fault. We have enough sin in our lives, in our hearts, uh, that can do a lot of damage too. So we always have to be watching ourselves and suspecting ourselves as well. And some of the symptoms and causes of division include such things as, as ego, a critical spirit. I mean, having a critical spirit where you're always finding something to criticize, that's uh, an easy tool for the enemy to use to, to cause that division. You know, complaining about different things. You know, that doesn't mean, else, if I say well, you can't complain, that doesn't mean that we have to pretend everything's perfect all the time. But there's a big difference between having an attitude of uh, just complaining about problems, um, that's, that's different than having an attitude that says, hey, okay, what are the next things that we can improve in our church? I mean, that's something that I'm trying to do all the time and other leaders and people that care about. What's, you know, what are things that we can keep improving, building upon or a weakness that we can do? But that's a different attitude than just, you know, complaining or having a critical spirit or an attitude that just, you know, sits back and, you know, is mad at other people or I could do better than that. Gossip, listening to gossip, self-interest, personal agendas, factions, cliques, strong personal loyalties that lead to factions, backbiting, personal preferences, personal ambitions. Different things that we can see from Scripture and from experience uh, that sin uses to, to cause these cracks of division in our church. So we need to guard against them. Last, before I move on, I think this is important to emphasize too, is that we talk about unity. Unity does not mean uniformity. Read these passages such as 1 Corinthians 12, and it's talking a lot about unity, but it's also saying that there is also a lot of diversity in the church, and that's a good thing. It's, the church is not supposed to be this assembly of clones that all come together, and that we all look the same, we all act the same, say the same things, like the same things, that God in his sovereignty is calling lots of different types of people together and given those people also different spiritual gifts, 1 Corinthians 12 talks about. So we have different things that we excel in with the Lord's help, things that we're good at, ways that we can be serving, and also ways that we have deficits in ourselves, so that we need other people around us. So we don't think oh, we're just independent and we can do it all but we need to work together. And Paul compares that in 1 Corinthians 12 to a human body uh, with different things that your eyes do something different than your ears and your hands and your feet do different things. But it's all essential and they all need to be together. But it's good that there is diversity. If you just had hands all over all your body, that would be a weird thing. You would be this blind spider monster and it's just, I'm sorry for putting this in your head right now. Wasn't planning on doing this. Should have thought through this more. That's a creepy thing. Uh, but it shows that we don't want to be just a bunch of clones altogether. It's, 
Unity, does that mean uniformity? We're going to have different gifts, different backgrounds. And because of the different backgrounds, these are things also that God has used to shape you. And different ways that he can use you in other people's lives because of your backgrounds. It also means you're going to have different interests. And some people are into you know, different things that uh, people have. But you know, when we talk about fellowship in scripture, that word in Greek is koinonia, and it literally means commonness. And sometimes we'll hear people say, you know what, this other person, they're in the church, but I have nothing in common with that person. And I want to say to you, if you ever catch yourself saying that, that there's somebody else that's a fellow Christian, and you say, I have nothing in common with that person, you're forgetting the most important thing that you have in common with that person. If you have nothing else in common with somebody in this church, you know, they like hunting, you don't like hunting, you don't like this movie, that movie, uh, just whatever it is, but you have Jesus Christ in common, okay, you could be as polar opposites in everything else, but you have the most important thing in common. And that is where our commonness, that is where our unity comes from, that we have Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior, our treasure in common. And so it's great to meet people that are different from you, meet people that have different backgrounds, different ages, different experiences, but you have that same commonness in Christ if you're believers together. And praise God for that. So that's source of our unity. Now I want to talk next about membership, you're being connected. And this next point is that church membership gives unity to a local church. It's a way of providing that unity. I'm not saying it's the only thing, but the, I'm, I want to argue that there's an important role for this in church membership. And so in this message, in this part here, I want to try to convince you that official church membership um, actually matters. Now, I know that some are think, thinking, well, I can be saved without joining a church. And yeah, that's true. Is church membership necessary for salvation? No, it is not. Is it necessary for obedience to the Lord? I think it is. Is it good and beneficial? I think yes both for the church body and for you. And I think it's important uh, for you to know uh, what is actually a part of, well, think of it this way. It's important for you, if you think of your physical body, to know what's actually part of your body and what isn't, okay? Uh, so before you start, you know, you know, grabbing the knee of the stranger next to you, you know, it's good to know where your body uh, ends and the next person's begins, you know, in the same way, there's something about each uh, local church is a manifestation of the body of Christ as, as, a, as a body of Christ to have an idea of um, where the, the boundaries of that are. We also don't want, you know, parts of our body that um, are acting like they're, they're not part of the body. You don't want like some rogue arm, you know, just doing its own thing and you have to keep, you know, it in control here as it's messing around the whole time. So church membership is important. So let me say a few things here. I want you to think about this. I want you to process this. Why church membership? First, I believe it is biblical that the New Testament assumes that believers will become members of a local church. And so we can see things such as uh, Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. Let us consider how 
to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together. Notice other places we've talked about coming together as a church, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We're going to look at some other verses too, but I think the best way of thinking about this is the church is, is coming together and being united and not just um, random gatherings that are happening. You say, well, couldn't this just mean, um, you know, get together with some Christians sometimes? You know, that it's just important that at once in a while you, you get together with some other Christians. Now, it's good to do that, and sometimes it can be good to gather with different, you know, Christians. But there's a difference between, let's say, you know, going to the movie theater, and you're there and you're with some people and you have an experience together, uh, but you're not with those same people. And you leave, you go your own way, and you're not going to be able to pour into each other's lives the same way as if you knew that this was the people that you get together with on a regular basis, that you're connected with, and that you have commitment to each other. I read an article that uh, Mike Whitmer He's a professor of uh, theology at Cornerstone Seminary. Uh, he wrote an article for Lifeway Research recently called Why Join a Church Confronting DIY Christianity. I quote him, quote, Some of our attendees say they already belong to the universal church. Where does the Bible say they must also join a local church? But the local church is how we access the universal church, which is present in each local church, Hebrews 12, 22 through 23, Paul wrote his letters to local churches, not free-range Christians. I thought, that's a very interesting insight there. That when you see the New Testament, these letters that are written to the, the, the church in Corinth, uh, to the church in Philippi, these are written to local churches. And as uh, Wimmer says, not to free-range Christians. He goes on and he says, While it may be possible to believe in Jesus and not belong to a local assembly, it never occurred to any apostle that anyone would try. The New Testament is no category for a follower of Jesus who does not belong to a local church. If someone refused baptism and membership in a local church, they would not be counted as, genuine, as a genuine believer. And how can we say we belong to the head, Jesus, if we don't belong to the body? We are an amputation, hideous rather than helpful. Who wants to be a severed hand or eye? Join the body. So I want to say, I want to be patient with you. So if you're not a member here, I want to let the Lord convict you. And I want to talk about this in a little bit. There's, there's a certain time where that's appropriate um, to get to know a church, to prayerfully consider these things. But I want you to think about it biblically as well. I think another line of thought that from Scripture that I found really helpful, because, yeah, there's not a specific verse that says, you know, thou shall go through a membership class and go through this exact process, you know, and put your name on a piece of paper and join a church. But at the same time, when we look at Scripture, uh, it's, I believe, you can tell from the way it's written that local churches knew who was a part of that church. And one of the reasons for that, say it like this, is that the New Testament, we can see a lot of different verses, and I have these in the, um, there's an insert in your bulletin where you can see uh, these different verses. 
the New Testament assumes that church leaders know who they are responsible for and that church members know who their leaders are. And this only makes sense if there's some sort of defined church membership. So I want you to, th- I want you to think about that. Because look at some of the verses that I, I put in your, um, the insert. I'll give you just two of them. But one is in Acts 20, verse 28. And this is Paul, and he was talking to the elders, okay, the, the leaders in the church in Ephesus. He had spent time there. He's getting ready to, uh, to uh, leave. And he, so he talks to the, uh, you know, the elders, pastors, leaders there. And he says this. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. So you had Paul telling these church leaders to care for the people that were of their flock. And for that to make sense, they had to know, okay, who are we talking about? Who is part of the the flock that they are responsible to care for? Now, we try to reach out to those that are, you know, in the community, to everyone to invite them to Christ. And I'm thankful for people in uh, the past few weeks that have uh, been doing that, to people that have been inviting friends to church, having conversations with people. I thank you for the, to the ladies uh, this past Saturday that put together the, the kids' clothing exchange, showing the love of Christ to our neighborhood, and trunk or treat last week. And I pray we keep doing that. But there's also a different responsibility that leaders have. Uh, you know, we're to try and take the gospel message to everyone, but those that are part of the church family, we have a responsibility for that is different from those that are not part of the church family. And so how do you know who that is? And where would the line be? Is it just if you show up this many times, uh, how does that work? But some people could be here but still you know, be on the edge. So Acts 20, 28 is a verse that talks about that. Uh, Hebrews 13, 7, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Hebrews 13, 17 this is another one that's talking about members needing to know who their leaders are for this verse to make sense. It says, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So just in the same way that the, uh, the leaders of a church are responsible for the flock and for the members. Here it's talking about members, um, you know, obeying and leadership. We're going to talk about leadership next week and what healthy leadership looks like in a church. But I would say that means that you need to know who your leaders are. And there needs to be some kind of agreement that, yeah, you'll be a part of this and um, that... uh, you're not just free range, but, you know, in connection with this, uh, with the church as a body of Christ and uh, with the structure that is a part of it. So look at those verses, consider them, think through them. I think they really only make sense if there's some kind of defined membership. And maybe they can look different in different churches, how they decide who's um, officially a part of things. But at some point, there has to be some way of knowing. Um, Back in 2020, uh, it was, I remember it was during the time when we were all shutting our houses during the COVID lockdown, 
And I remember uh, my kids being out on the back porch when this, this cat started showing up. And it was this black cat that was around for a while, and we called him Shadow. I don't know if he had a different name, uh, because the cat would just kind of come around, and it would get love, super affectionate cat. My kids love this cat, and I really like this cat too. Uh, but it seemed like, okay, he's a stray cat, we think. And so, yeah, we'd feed it, and we'd give it some attention. And sometimes, you know, it'd be gone for a week, and then we'd see it again. And then after a while, it's around more and more. Uh, and at some point, we remember thinking, you know, does this cat have a home or doesn't it? You know, is it okay for us to kind of uh, take ownership of this cat, to adopt this cat? Uh, but we didn't know. We didn't know if this cat had a different home that was out there somewhere. And this cat kind of hung around for about a year and a half. And towards the end, we kind of thought, well, this is our cat. I think we have, we have another cat. But we never really knew for sure. Because even then, sometimes the cat would, you know, come around once a day or here and there. And we never really knew if he had another home that he was going to or if he was bouncing from home to home. And therefore, we had questions. Like, can we, should we be taking this cat to the vet? Uh, should we be getting him his shots? I mean, if this is somebody else's cat, I wouldn't want somebody else taking our cat to the vet, you know, and giving him shots or something like that. But we just, we didn't know, because we just didn't know if this was our cat or somebody else's. And that's where, if we think about this as far as, like, church membership, you know, what that helps us to know is that are you our official responsibility or not? Are we to care for you and care for each other, both the leadership and other the members of this church? Or is it tough to know this uh, when sometimes it's more like the, the, the stray cat that might be here, might not be? Are you a visitor? Are you, are you in with us? But actually joining a church lets people know that, okay, we are connected. There is a definitive, yes, we know this person is in. We know we are responsible for each other. There are a lot of other places in life where it is really important to know who is an actual member. I mean, think about this. Let's say if you have a sports team and you're competing. I think it's really important to know who's actually on that team and who isn't. You don't have just random people, you know, uh, you know, wandering onto the to the playing field. You know, hey, I'll you know I'll throw that ball for a little while. And well, are you on this team or are you not? It's Veterans Day. In the military, you know, there are definitely clear lines whether you're in or you're not in, and it really matters, and to really know if you're in or not. Marriage, is it official or are you just playing around? Family, to know who is officially part of your family biologically when that adoption goes through and it's an official thing. Say other things in life, an employee, are you an official employee or a volunteer that just kind of is around once in a while. Even citizenship. It's important in a country to know who's a citizen, who actually can vote, who actually has rights and responsibilities as a citizen. I think also when you think of the New Testament teachings on church discipline, that also indicates that members of a local church know who else is officially part of their church. And we're going to talk about that in the message uh, later this month as well, what the Bible teaches about church discipline. And church discipline is actually one of the blessings of church membership. To be part of something where other people care about you that much, that they're going to help keep watch over your life. And to make sure that you're a real Christian, 
uh, to try and vouch for you in that way, and that if we get off in the Christian life, that you have people that are willing to bring you back on the path. That's an important, and that's a good thing. Now, some people don't really want to be a part of a church because they don't want that at all. But it is a good thing, and it is a blessing. And I've heard some people say, I want to become part of a church uh, because I want that. I want that accountability. I want those people in my life doing that. I want to say, too, it's also church membership is biblical, and it is also a very beneficial thing. I think some of the things that it communicates to one another and just makes things easier um, in the church life, it, I think it indicates agreement and adherence to the doctrine and values of a local church that we can know that, okay, you, we agree on the essential important things, that we have that unity, that we, we're in agreement in our doctrinal statement, the values of a church. You know, we're not, you know, pushing in all these, you know, different directions. You know, there can be some smaller things that there can be diversity on, but on the core things that there's unity in that. Whereas we don't necessarily know that otherwise. Um, accountability to the church, to each other, and to the leadership. And I'll say it this way, allegiance and assurance of commitment to the people and mission of a particular local church. That when somebody joins the church, you know, it's, um, you know, and we bring them up here at the end of a service and we vote them in, then all of us in the church, we know, okay, this person, they're moving from just being a visitor to, you know, they're part of things now. Now we know they agree with us, they want to be in, they want to be part of our family. And therefore we can work together in a way that's different than if we just, we don't know where they actually stand. And so I think these are important, beneficial things. But church membership is a move from being a mere consumer to being a responsible and contributing family member. I think it's a different mindset. And there's a lot of people that go to churches, and sometimes lots of different churches. I'll take this little bit from this one, this buffet, something else from here, and you know, what can I take? Where when we plug into a church, that it's a way of saying, I'm not just gonna be a consumer or a taker, I'm gonna be like part of a family. And when you're part of a family, uh, and a healthy family, you're also, you're contributing with your resources, with your, your time, with your, your efforts for what the church, for what the family needs and what the church family needs as well. So it's not just about the perks. I'm going to become a member so I can vote. And uh, yeah, there's certain ministries that you can't do unless you're a member. And there's things in the Constitution about wedding and funeral privileges just for members, reserving the building, care groups. Yeah, we have to have some of that, but it's more about accepting responsibility and, and commitment. And the local church membership, it, it is a covenant relationship between members. As I said, it's kind of like, like getting married. You know, marriage is a covenant that uh, two people make with each other. It can't be just one way uh, for uh, a marriage covenant. In the same way, membership in a church needs to be both ways too that uh, you, we know that you actually want to be a part of the church and that uh, the church also is uh, acknowledging, accepting you into membership too. Like in marriage, I think it, it works a lot better when it's both ways. I mean, a few weeks from now, a man and Steve can be up here and uh, uh, God willing, uh, you're gonna have your vows to each other and it's gonna be really weird if one of you decides not to say the vows. It's kind of a deal breaker. And so same way with church membership, it's, it's a two-way street as far as being a covenant. 
And that's why we vote people into membership, and also when you leave, you vote you out, because it is something that uh, you're joining into covenant with each other. Now, when we think about membership, just a few thoughts here. We want our membership list to matter. There's some churches where they have, um, they may have a, a few people that come to their church, but they may have hundreds and hundreds of people on their membership list. Say, so my church has this many members. And yeah, but how many of those have even come in the last 10 years? And some churches, they never clean off their membership rolls, so, I don't know, so they can brag about how many people they have. Or sometimes they're in a denomination that makes it really tough to remove them because they want to, you know, tax them based on how many members. Uh, but I think that's, that's pretty meaningless to have, you know, people that are saying they're members that, that aren't involved or don't come. And that's why if you don't come, like, within a year, we try to, we're trying to reach out to you and pull you in, and eventually we would go through the process of if we, we our goal is to get you connected again, but otherwise to um, stop pretending that we're members members of one another if we're not. Now on the flip side, there's a lot of churches today that it's the other way around where they have way more people that actually come to church than they actually have members. Because there's a lot of real attractional churches uh, where it's you go for entertainment or whatever and you know people sometimes go because they can keep the church at arm's length. They don't want the accountability. And so for them the membership is actually real small compared to the people that come. Our goal is to have it more like a one-to-one -one ratio where it's as close as we can get to the people that come and people are members. Now, we know it will never actually be that because new people need time and, you know, people need to, to come to know the Lord first, but it's our goal. I think it is a wise thing to be a member where you attend and attend where you are a member. Let me give you some okay reasons not to join a church. Okay? If you're not a believer yet, if you're not a believer yet, we don't want you to fake it just so you can be on a list. We want you to come to Jesus Christ and trust him as your Lord and Savior and be saved. And we think that's a necessary prerequisite for membership. And so for the past, you know, nine years and counting on my watch, you know, I am interviewing you before you come to become a member of this church because I want to know to the best that I can that you really are saved and that you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. Other okay reasons not to join a church, if you're, if you're new. You know, we don't, if uh, joining a church is like getting married, we're not talking, telling you to get married on the first date. You know, there is a time period where we would like you to be coming for several months so that, you know, not years and years and years and years, but so that you can understand what is this church about. So you're counting the costs, you're understanding what the church is like, what our beliefs are, and um, also maybe, you know, growing as a Christian yourself. Um, another reason, if you're a child and you don't understand the responsibilities of membership yet, uh, children can be saved at a young age, um, but usually we would encourage them to, um, when they start owning it, maybe like high school is a good time that we think where it's not just doing it for mom and dad, uh, being baptized and joining the church, but, but they understand it. And also, if you have significant disagreements with doctrine or values, and that's keeping you from you know, being able to uh, affirm things. Now, there's certain nitpicky things that maybe aren't that big of a deal, but in that case, we welcome you to keep learning, to, to be open, 
And um, if you're still growing in the faith or uh, learning different things, I think that's appropriate. Poor reasons not to join a church, fear of commitment or lack of commitment, an anti-authority attitude, unhealthy individualism or an unhealthy independence, you know, just wanting to keep, you know, people or the church at arm's length, unrepentant sin. If there's something in your life that you're not joining the church because you realize you have some sin that you're not willing to repent of, well, that's not a good thing no matter you join the church or not. You're just holding on to that sin. You want to get rid of that and repent. Ask the Lord for help. Start struggling against it. Not wanting accountability or just you just, you just don't want to get baptized. I think those are poor reasons. Charles Spurgeon, the great British preacher of the 1800s, once put it this way. He says, I know there are some who say, well, I've given myself to the Lord, but I do not intend to give myself to the church. Now, why not? Because I can be a Christian without it. Are you quite clear about that? You can be as good a Christian by disobedience to your Lord's commands as by being obedient? What is a brick made for? To help build a house. It is of no use for that brick to tell you that it is just as good a brick while it is kicking about in the ground as it would be in the house. And then finally, church members are united by covenant commitment to one another. That like in a marriage, you make those vows, you're coming into covenant with one another, it's a serious thing. And in many ways, marriage is like this. Both have to agree, coming together. And notice this is a, a covenant commitment, not a convenient commitment. That you make a covenant with each other and it's through thick or thin, whether it's convenient for you or, or not. And our church has a church covenant. And I'm going to close by taking time to read through this uh, for you. Um, and just maybe make a few comments. If you come to congregational meetings, we say this together. Uh, but I want to just look at this and think through whether, if you are a member of the church, how are you living this out? Because it's not just saying it, it's living it out. And if you're not a member of the church, to look at this and say, that would be a good thing. It would be in a good thing to be part of a community together where people believe this and are trying to live this out together. Our church covenant, if you're ever wondering where it came from, it was uh, written in the mid-19th century uh, so the 1800s by Dr. John Newton Brown. It was published in his Baptist Church Manual in 1853, which if you are thinking there's something about 1853 that that's the year that this church was founded as well. So uh, this was written independently of this church, but it's been used by a lot of different Baptist churches. And the language is about the same. There's a clause in there about alcohol that a few years ago that we um, that we tweaked, that we believe that what we've replaced it with is, is more biblical. Um, but otherwise, it is basically as it has been written and used by many churches. And uh, that's why it uses some old-timey language. And I want to just kind of go through this. And I think the way that our church covenant is now, it is a source of unity um, for us to have as we live this out together. So our church covenant says this, having been led as we believe by the Spirit of God to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. So together we're acknowledging we're Christians. We've come together with uh, trusting in Jesus Christ. 
and on the profession of our faith, having been baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, we do now in the presence of God, angels, and this assembly most solemnly and joyfully enter into covenant with one another as one body in Christ. That it's a, it's a solemn, it's a serious thing to do this. There's five paragraphs in this. We engage, therefore, by aid of the Holy Spirit, not our own efforts, our own strength, but the Holy Spirit helping us, to walk together in Christian love. As I read these, you realize these are all things that Christians should be living out. We're just making a promise to each other to live these out with one another. To strive for the advancement of this church, you know, fulfilling our mission together in knowledge, holiness, and comfort, to promote its prosperity and spirituality, to, to help with the mission and the health of this church, to sustain its worship, ordinances, discipline, and doctrines, to contribute cheerfully and regularly to the sport of the ministry, so our giving, that's part of it, the expenses of the church, and the relief of the poor, and the spread of the gospel through all the nations, things that we should be doing, helping this church, helping others, missions. We also engage to maintain family and secret devotion. I'm going to explain that secret devotion. What is this talking about? Well, Jesus said, don't just be praying and doing your devotions for everyone to see. But he said, sometimes you need to go into your closet so that only God knows what you're doing. That's what it's talking about. It's not saying you can't pray together as well. We should be praying together. But if the only time you're praying is when other people can see you, or the only time you're doing your, your Bible reading is when you can post a picture about it on Facebook or Instagram, that's not the point. So that's what it's talking about when it says uh, um, family and secret devotion. To religiously educate our children. This does not mean that we're dictating that you have to send your kids to Christian school or homeschool or public school. Different families can decide what's best for them, but you should be teaching your kids about Jesus. That's what we're saying. That you have that responsibility as parents to be teaching your kids about Jesus. And I would say take advantage of the things of the church. I hope you're bringing your kids to Sunday school. I really like if you are able to on Wednesdays, bring your kids to Explorers, to Youth Group. Uh, these things that we can work together uh, to help our kids to know you and to have that foundation. To seek the salvation of our kindred and acquaintances, our family and friends. To walk circumspectly in the world. Circumspectly literally means uh, looking around, that we're being wise. If you walk through a room and you're not looking around, you're going to knock over a lot of stuff. And also, if you live in this world without being aware of the world that we live in, we're going to be pretty clumsy. So we're looking around, being aware of the world that we live in and being wise in our actions. To be just in our dealings, have integrity, faithful in our engagements, in everything that we do, we're being faithful, exemplary in our deportment. To avoid all tattling, backbiting, and excessive anger. Yeah, old-timey language, but yeah, that's good. Tattling, backbiting, these are bad things. They're going to lead to division in the church. To abstain from any sinful or unwise use of addictive or mind-altering substances. And so this means if there's some chemical that you put in your body, if it's sinful to do that, you shouldn't do it. If it's unwise, you shouldn't do it. I explain usually in membership class, there's a big difference between uh, having morphine because you're in the hospital and you just had your knee replaced than going and buying morphine in an alley because you like taking a lot of morphine. To live wisely in this world and to reject any practice that the Bible identifies as sin 
and to be zealous in our efforts to advance the kingdom of our Savior. We further engage to watch over one another in brotherly love. We're caring for each other. To remember each other in prayer, praying for each other, to aid each other in sickness and distress. All these things about caring for each other, actively living that out, not being independent, but looking for people, noticing people, caring about each other. To cultivate Christian sympathy and feeling and courtesy and speech. To be slow to take offense. Yeah, when people are quick to take offense, that leads to a lot of problems. But to be slow to take offense. But always ready for reconciliation. That if there is some kind of faction or fracturing or some fight, that we're the ones obeying Jesus and, and trying to repair the relationship. Mindful of the rules of our Savior to secure it without delay as quickly as we can. And then finally, it says, we moreover engage that when we remove from this place, we will as soon as possible unite with some other church where we can carry out the spirit of this covenant and the principles of God's word. That in one way, it's not like marriage. It's not till death do you part, but that it's something that you're here until God makes it very clear that he's leading you somewhere else. And in that case, you're still not going to try and be just a free-range Christian, but you'll quickly plug into a Bible-believing church where you can live out these same things. Covenants need to be lived out, not just read, not just known. And we're called to be more than just one cell amoebas. We're called to be Christ's body together. Christ is our head, and let's be united for his glory. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for the, the privilege of being in the body of Christ, and we thank you for the local church. Uh, Lord, we ask that you would help us to be united and to live out that unity. And Lord, I thank you for people that are here, those that are our members help us to be strengthened in that. And Lord, I pray for the people that are here, whether they're visitors or they've been here for quite a while, Lord. May you guide them and give them wisdom to know what they should do. And that if it is your will and in due time, uh, we pray that they would uh, go through a membership class and they would start in that process of uh, making it official, to move beyond just dating the church uh, to... Uh, to, to, to getting hitched, Lord God, and being in that covenant commitment with one another. But Lord, this is all because of you. You have bought the church with your blood, and we exist for your glory. So let us do this not for our ease, not for our glory, but for you. We are the body of Christ, and we long to see you glorified. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.